Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. In this podcast, we travel Boris defeat to Bristol City. We should give our praise and place nominations. We look ahead to West Brom and Jalbion with Louis from the Baggies podcast and Boris trip to Oakwell on Saturday with Joe from the Red All Over podcast. And of course, we answer your podcast questions. This is the Bora Breakdown podcast, and this is all your Bora Match Day chatter in a pod. One support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for That's Craig it. Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Ravanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Ravanelli spots out. Hello and welcome to the Bora Breakdown Podcast with Johnny Denner and Tom. We are the Bora Podcast that gives you all of your Bora Mash Day chatter in a podcast. On Saturday, Chris Wilder tasted his third defeat as Middlesbrough boss with a 2-1 defeat against Nigel Pearson's Bristol City. Goals from Byman and Semenyo were enough to give the Robins all three points at Ashton Gate. Guys, three defeats in 16 for Chris Wilder. Now, I want to know how you're feeling in three words. Uh, Dana, do you want to go first? I'll just say it as you were. Nothing's really changed for me because, yeah, we've obviously suffered a bit of a setback. Chris Wilder was talking about setbacks in the pre-match press conference and it's going to happen, isn't it? We're going to get nullified, stifled. Our, our threat is going to be minimalised by clubs and I think it was by Bristol City yesterday. Sometimes you just got to say it wasn't our day and it wasn't our day yesterday. Uh, it wasn't our day um, and as you were. So, Tom, how are you feeling in three words? I'll just say a bit disappointed. I thought yesterday was a, a very winnable game. I think by the, the 90th minute, my opinion on that hadn't really changed because I didn't think Bristol City were particularly that good. But I thought we were worse than them. Um, and just from the performance levels we're used to, yeah, just a, a bit of a disappointment. But hopefully, hopefully we can uh, pick it back up against West Brom on Tuesday. Okay, a bit disappointed. I want to go Alan Kervishley in. Uh, can't believe we've lost <laughs> Chris Wilder out, set the club on fire, and we all start again. Um, I'm joking. It wasn't. It actually, to be fair, I actually wasn't bothered about that. We lost that all. To be fair, then I'm going to go with you as you were. Um, but let's let's look at the game then, because it was a game where pretty much Borough dominated, apart from the scoreline. Um, and Dana, how would you assess the overall performance against Bristol City yesterday? It was a bit mixed, I thought, because we started slowly. We couldn't deal with their press. I thought their press was really aggressive against us. And in midfield, I think we struggled with it. At the back, We it was not too dissimilar to the Blackburn game, but 
Bristol City were pressing us a lot more than Blackburn did. I think Blackburn were, were more cutting off the passing lanes and it was difficult for, for Borough to get into it. I thought we ended the half quite quite well. We, we ended it as a better side, got a little bit of momentum and then come the start of the second, we had a shot with Tav that we saved and I thought, okay, you know, getting into the game, fans are right behind the, the players, maybe put Bristol City under a bit of, bit of pressure. But ultimately, the pressure didn't end up in a goal because I thought our our attacking, our shooting, our decision making in the final third was the tail of the game. I thought we were we were very poor in our decision making, and I mean, twenty one shots, ten on target. All ten of those came in the second half, um, an xG of of two point zero nine per foot mob, three big chances created, sixty three percent possession. It was just one of those games. I said it I said it in my first answer. I'll say it again. It'll probably be said again in this podcast. It was just one of those days. Um, Tom, like Dana was alluding to there, Borough ahead on all of the stats that you, you'd expect the team to probably win on, obviously with possession, shots, shots on target, corners, big chances. Was it just one of those games? Yeah, I think the correct term for it is we got football managers. Um, we've all we've all seen the memes kind of like the go around and it's like, oh, you've dominated on every stat and then lost 1-0 from their one shot on target and that was pretty much what it felt like. Um, I really agree with Dana that our decision-making in the final third was poor though because at times it did feel like we were trying to walk it in. Not trying to make an IT crowd reference there for anyone who gets that. but <laughs> um, <laughs> Ah, let's go that, yeah. um yeah it it did seem kind of like the the polar opposite of how we've been recently and we're far too indecisive and i think that that is what cost us because realistically you know but i mean they they obviously deserve their goals but i could have been like four or five team um and and the fact that we've only come away with that from uh with a 2-1 loss it's uh yeah just really disappointing um but gonna kind of blame that on on our indecisiveness I think I do have to say though I want to credit Bristol City here because I went into the game they hadn't kept a clean sheet in 12 games of course that continued I thought for a minute when I put it in the telegram chat that I jinxed it and that they would keep a clean sheet against us Um, but defensively they've been pretty abysmal this season one of the worst defences in the championship but I thought they really stood tall yesterday they were accepting when they needed to they were blocking when they needed to I thought they read the game really well they closed down the space and I think they restricted us to low quality chances or a high frequency of low quality chances rather than a low frequency of high quality chances. And that's exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to frustrate us. They wanted to limit us, limit us to kind of hopeful shots from outside the box and kind of felt like that's, that's exactly what, well, yeah, that, that is exactly what happened. I think, we, yeah, I think the game yesterday was, was like we were all, we've all pretty much said this as you were, was one of those games and, and I didn't, I didn't actually think Bora played bad at all yesterday, which was kind of strange. I think mm. maybe like I think under Warnock, I think it was like I hated football completely. Um, but now I could see what we were trying to do. The patterns were there. We overplayed a little bit too much in spells, but we were creating high quality chances at times when we were two 0 down. And you know you could have argued, especially in the, in the game as well, that Bora could have came away with a point quite comfortably and could have won the game on another day as well. So. For me, it's it's kind of it's not the end of the world at all. I'm with you a little bit. I was a little bit surprised at the way uh, Bristol City set up and they were able to nullify our threat. But do you think that is Dana? Now, do you think that's kind of the way you play against this Millsborough side and, and the way that how they've aggressively pressed us, similar to what Blackburn did as well? Yeah, because it forces us, doesn't it? It forces us to make those split-second decisions. And I think in some games, we're not quite prepared to make those split-second decisions because you see our patient build-up around the 18-yard box. It's probably the case as well in the middle third. And mm. there there are different ways to nullify Borough, of course. I think you saw Bristol City triple up on Isaiah Jones at, at one point. They had the, the midfielder, probably another covering midfielder, and then the fullback all getting tight to Jones and probably the centre-half as well at times. So it was difficult for us. And, I mean, we mentioned Jones last podcast, how important he is to this side. If you take him out of the game, you're taking out a big part of Boris's attack. So, yeah, there's mm. to, to be fair, I mean, Bristol City, I, I have to give them credit because I thought they did pretty well against us. Tom, uh, apart from uh, Wilder taking Walker off that early... Um... <laughs> I love it. I know your IT reference, IT crowd reference for you there. Um, but does the defeat show that 
it's it's important not to get too ahead when you win and then also not too down when you get beat because it was kind of the world was ended on, on Twitter. Middlesbrough <laughs> being in a fantastic form and they're going to win the league one week. Um, is it important just to keep quite mellow the way where Borough play at the moment? Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I don't think, uh, like, I mean, I saw all the tweets and, and stuff, but like, personally, for me, after the game, it didn't really affect me too much because I just thought, oh, well, on a Tuesday, we can hopefully put in a good performance against West Brom. Um, I didn't think we played kind of particularly badly yesterday, but I do think our indecisiveness let us down. Um, that, that said, um, I, I thought when they scored, uh, what was it, like the seventh minute or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought that was kind of very much against the run of play uh, at the time. And what they would have benefited from after that was being able to pack more people in the box when we were we were attacking to to cut out those chances where, where Jones is trying to create them from the right-hand side. So it, it did very much kind of seem by the end of it, like it was just one of those games where nothing really went in our favour. And it, it's not really anything to be too worried about. Uh, mm. Like you were saying earlier, Johnny, like it, it's a complete difference to what we would have had under Warnock. I'm sure at that point of the season, if we'd have lost to Bristol City under Warnock, we'd have plenty to kind of like pick apart on, on the pod. But for me yesterday, it wasn't It wasn't even a bad performance. It's just that we let ourselves down, I think. And um, yeah, it, it's just, it, it wasn't really kind of out, out of the ordinary in, in terms of the, the performance. So we can kind of carry on to to Tuesday and, and not, and I think the only thing we have to put right is kind of the indecisiveness. Mm. It's the yeah, first it, time that we conceded in the first quarter of a game this season. And there you go. <clears throat> fun fact fun fact of the day. So it's like, well, did, did you mention that on the last podcast? I feel like, I feel like I've seen something like that. I, no, I think it might have been on Telegram. Telegram. Yeah, on Telegram, on our Telegram app, yeah, and I'll I'll pitch it now. There is over a hundred people in our Telegram uh, conversation already, <laughs> so if you want to join it, we'll leave it in the description um, below. But let's let's break down the goals then, because all three of them uh, in the, in the game yesterday were, were you know fairly decent, well worked goals. Um, but then Andres Vyman's goal, seven minutes in. How were Borough able to concede for the first time in 50 minutes? Um, but how were we able to? How were they able to break us down as well? Yeah, I mean, it's just the ball forward, really, and you and you see Chris Martin drops deep, and I mean, he basically spins beyond Paddy McNair, and and what happens is that Semenyo moves to a, a wide position and basically opens up the gap for for Chris Martin to run into once he spins beyond McNair, who was obviously followed him to a deep position. And, and McNair's fine in that position, you know, he's he's still with him, he's still tracking him, but then it gets to a position where Semenyo basically does to Borough what Borough have done to many other teams on that right-hand side, good combination play. He plays a one-two with Sam Bell, the fullback. And I mean, that, that's a decent defensive line. You've got Jones covering. I think that's Vyman that is in between Dyke Steele and uh, Jones at that point. But it's just, it's really simple. Uh, one-two on out wide, what Jones has done to so many teams with Cruxy and in the end, what really disappoints me is by the time that Semenyo gets to the byline and, I mean, he, he just, I mean, poor Tav, he's just left on the ground. But there's so much space for Vyman there. I mean, he pulls off Dykesdale. And to be fair, the, the, the defenders that we have are pretty tightly marking their, uh, their respective men. But then there's so much of a space between Dykesdale and Vyman. He just basically peels off him and, and moves away from him into space, drops back, and then the cutback, it's a decent cutback. Obviously, spots the run that that Vyman's made, and he lashes it into the back of the net. It's it's disappointing from Borough, firstly to kind of be pulled apart defensively a little bit, and then to be beaten out wide with the one-two. It's it's a bit poor. And then obviously, when Vyman has that space in the box, it's you do have to question the defence there. Yeah, I think when you when you look back on that on that last, on the. On the last visual you showed there, then it was it's interesting that obviously Dyke still is, is looking at Vyman. It's just like that reaction time is is just a it's just a split second off, and that's all you need in the championship where if a striker does make that move and gets that half space and you well, a lot of that little bit of space in the, in the box, you yeah, you're in for a, a difficult afternoon. And I think that it's you know, it's one of those games you can dissect all you want and you can kind of you can criticize Dyke Steel for maybe 
letting his man peel off him there, but it's part of the game. It happens every week in, week out, and you know, it's, it's, I think it's a difficult. I think it's difficult for Borough to to improve on that. Really, obviously, there is cost. You can say don't lose your man as, as, as frequently, but I think there's not much. I think you can you can really do there. Um, but on the second goal, Tom um, Semenyo, we identified him last week on the podcast and on Twitter as the danger man for Bristol City. Sixth goal in twelve games now for the uh, for the Robins, and also it was a lovely bit of skill. But can we do a little bit better defensively? I think it's uh, it's another case like the first goal of good movement uh, coming from Semenyo, really. Um, so the move starts off with Dyke Steel making a tackle on Semenyo. I can't see who gets the final touch to the ball because of the atrocious camera angle at Ashton Gate. But <laughs> it, it bounces clear and uh, McGree tries to recover the ball. Um, he, I mean, the, the only kind of like, is a only a really, really small criticism is that he could have taken like a set to the right and cut off a passing lane. But I can see why he wouldn't have done that if he's thinking he's going to get to the ball first. Ball gets kind of uh, knocked forward by the Bristol City player. At this point, Semenyo gets up off the floor and runs in between McNair and Fry. Uh, McNair, I think, could have done better there by following him a little bit closer in field and getting goal side of him. Because uh, what happens is he's moved into the space between McNair and Fry. McNair's kind of kept his position. Then the ball comes to Semenyo. It's it's a good bit of skill to get it under control and then hit that shot. I think Fry's unlucky because the ball goes through his legs. And I, I think Lumley's unlucky there as well because you would probably expect that to you know hit Fry, but. It's uh, it seemed a bit like that goal against um, uh, conceded from Fulham first game of the season where it went through. Oh, I, I can't remember whose legs it went through uh, that one. Was it Ballers? Yeah. It might. It might have been. Yeah. It might have been Ballers. Yeah. It feels like a lifetime ago that, but we'll yeah. go. It does, it? <laughs> wow. But it it, it seems seem similar circumstances to that, so I can't blame Lumby too much for that. Um, but yeah, I, I think defensively, if, if McNair had followed Semenyo a little bit closer and say, say goal side, that goal was a bit more preventable than it ended up being. Mm. And obviously, after that second goal as well, you can always look at like the psychological sides of the game. You could be a little bit more deflated. <clears> you know, you can let you can let Bristol City run away with the game. But I want to say, like Borough's attitude and you know intensity didn't drop after that second goal, and we still tried to get keep getting back in the game. We were still creating chances, and we finally did. Then um, the, the Borough's goal in the ninetieth minute off a corner. Uh, I nearly fell off my chair when I seen yeah, uh, when same. I seen Crooks head that in from a Tav assist as well. Um, it's all about getting the ball in the right areas, isn't it? Yeah, and to be fair, he had a he had another good corner a little bit before that where nobody well nobody got their head on it, but it's a good corner. It's a good corner put right in the areas that you want it to. And I'm surprised that Crooks doesn't get his head on more corners. To be honest, because he's a I mean he's six foot three six six foot three and we call him the tree um it's a bit weird that he, that he doesn't get his head on more corners but yeah it's a it's a brilliant delivery it's a it's a, a good header but it, it was just too too little too late I did think for a split second I did have that little bit of belief that it would pop mm. up on my phone that we'd score an equalizer but it just wasn't to be and yeah we scored from a corner which is which is brilliant I think that's a big positive and hopefully we can see a lot more of that from from now on till the end of the season yeah, I'd I'd be keen to pick apart our our set pieces just to see what we've done differently. I'm probably have to look back after this podcast, but I feel like the, I mean, I'm just going to put it down to sheer luck. I think that we've scored for off a set piece, um, <laughs> but the the tree will not be on the pitch um, on for the next two games because he's picked up his tenth booking of the season, which we'll see him miss West Brom and Barnsley this week. Um, but both years. Uh, I'll come to you first, Tom. How big of a miss will Matt Crooks be? I think he will be a big miss. I think um, since Wilders came in, he's one of the players who's adapted to the formation so well. Uh, you know, it is link up on the right hand side with Jones and, and Dyke Steele's been great, and I think he's one of the players who, who's really made the made the system work. Um, obviously, out top scorer as well. So. Uh, I think the the next couple of games he, he will be a big miss, but it is also uh, probably Riley McGree's chance to chance to shine. So hopefully he does. I'll come on to Riley McGree uh, in in a second, but Dana, what's what's your thoughts on Matt Crooks not being able to play for the next couple of games? Yeah, it's a big miss, isn't it? Because given the fact that he is our top scorer and on course to being the uh, 
the the next midfielder to score double figures since Grant Ledbetter in 2014-15. It's taken a big part of our our goals out of the team and our goal threat out of the side. So it's it, obviously it's a big miss. Maybe a little bit clever though from Crooks because we do have a big fixture list. I think we play on the first of March and the fifth of March and then the eighth of March and then there's there's something crazy. I was mm. looking at it the other day and it's just games after games after games. And I don't know what anyone else thinks, but this feels like the fixture, the, the festive fixture list. Because the, mm. the festive fixture list felt a little bit unfulfilled. There wasn't enough midweek games for me before Christmas and the Boxing Day game. Now we have an absolute cluster of games and it's just that that little extra, you know, two games to recover and to have a rest and, and rotate and then obviously see Riley McGree, as Tom said, step up and hopefully he can step up really well. I've, I've liked the look of McGree so far, so fingers crossed it isn't too much of a miss that Crooks is out of the side, but it does take out a big known goal threat of ours, which is unfortunate. Yeah, let's speak about Riley McGree then, because with Crooks being out now, Tom, and Carl asked us a question as well, saying what should be the plan now? Crooks is out for two games. Does this give an opportunity for Riley McGree to, to come in and make an impact and maybe state a claim on the side? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, it depends how he does. <clears throat> you know, he, he could come in and, and, you know, bang in two goals in the next two games and get a couple of assists, and no one would be even thinking about dropping him for, like, for Crooks, it, 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 Crooks it after regain his place in the side after that. But, uh, you know, he, he's got more than likely two full games now uh, to to prove why he should be in the team. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's probably not the position we would have wanted him in. We would have wanted him on the left-hand side. Um, but, you know, if, if he does well, then, you know, he, he could absolutely stake his play, uh, claim for that place. Now that we've seen more of him as well, then uh, I, pre- I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Con- I didn't want to touch on him too much last week. So he only really got a, a couple of minutes. But Ryan Green, he, sh- he came on at half time, showed a lot more yesterday from what we've actually brought in. Um, but what were your thoughts on his on his performance yesterday? Because I thought I thought he was he was really really good. Yeah, he was really positive. He was the one positive from the game from an individual perspective, I think. That's not me saying that the the whole team was garbage. I just don't think anybody particularly stood out. Um, But Riley McGree did show a lot of promise. And I I do like the look of him. He's got something about him where he's he's comfortable in possession of the ball. He he did a really good trick. Um, Nice piece of skill against Derby. And I think that was within maybe five minutes of him coming on. So he's obviously a confident player. And somebody that I think can really offer us something on that left-hand side. Should he play there? I know that when he came on against Derby, it was tab that was shifted out to the right which actually I thought was pretty good because there was some decent link-up play albeit not too much because there wasn't too much of an opportunity to see it but there was some good link-up play between Dyke Steel Jones and Tav on that right-hand side so it'd be interesting to see where he plays whether he is going to be on that right or whether he'll be on the left and Tav will be shifted over to the right as we saw against Derby I mean we'll speak about Tav later but we could see him as, as left wing back but I, I do like him and I asked in the Telegram group chat yesterday what people think of him and Daniel Johnson said he was fantastic yesterday Jack Poole said uh, that he seems the suitable replacement for Crooks in the next two doesn't have me worrying that we'll be missing creativity um, and Key and Tierney said uh, looked great so far his weight of pass uh, is unbelievable so there's a, there's, there's promise in, in Riley McGree I, I like that we've picked him up he looks like as I said he's got something about him that he's confident good in possession of the ball good in tight spaces and he, he has that little flicker of, of creativity as well so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him in the next two games at least yeah and, and with that all I could think about when when uh, Crooks picked up that, that 10th yellow card of the season was Martin Piero too and just just his time on side so far because Tom it, it, this was probably the opportunity that Martin Piero was waiting for um, to try and get himself back into the sides and played a, a run of games as well but just the injuries hit again obviously it was an impact injury of course and you can't really help them but did it just sum up his, his time so far on D-side? Yeah, definitely. I, I think you, you you look at kind of like towards the end of Warnock's tenure where he was just cementing himself in the team. Uh, you know, he was doing well and then he picks up a muscle injury uh, and, and that puts him out of contention. Then Wilder comes in and he has to force his way back into the team. Uh, and I mean, the last couple of games where we had seen him, I thought he was doing well. You know, uh, Old Trafford, I thought he, he, he did okay when he, he came on. 
probably a bit better than Oki, actually. I, I thought he did do well. Um, uh, he didn't look as rusty as the um, the kind of sub-appearances he'd made before then. Mm. And then QPR, you know, really unlucky to be picking up an impact injury like that that puts him out of, out of contention. And, yeah, like you say, he probably was desperate for this opportunity. And, you know, as we've mentioned before, he was likely the uh, the competition for Crooks on that right-hand side. So the the fact that he's injured for for it, and then McGree's going to get the chance on the side where he wasn't signed to be competition for, uh, yeah, just really unlucky for for Piero, I think. Absolutely. But let, let's let's talk about the present place then. Just before we go into that, then um, I want to have a, a little mention for our charity this season. Um, of course, we are raising money for the Morton Neuron Disease Association this year, and I just want to give you a, a small ad. Um, just on why we're doing some work this year. MND stands for motor neuron disease, a condition which kills six people in the UK every day. Motor neurons are nerves in your brain and spinal cord that carry messages to your muscles, telling them what to do. The term motor neuron disease covers a group of similar conditions that attack these tiny nerve cells, leading to loss of movement, weakness, and muscle wasting. This means that actions like gripping, walking, speaking, swallowing, and even breathing can become increasingly difficult. MND is a life-shortening, progressive condition, and there is no cure. More than 50% of people will die within two years from their diagnosis. However, with specialist support and a strong care plan, symptoms can be managed to prolong independence. This can help achieve the best possible quality of life at each stage. The MND Association is devoted to care, research and campaigning. We do all that we can to make sure that those living with MND in England, Wales and Northern Ireland receive the best support, treatment and end-of-life care. Yeah, so that's just to give you a bit of an understanding as to why we're trying to raise money this year. And we're very, very close to our target of £2,000. So if you can give what you can, uh, our fundraiser will be in the links uh, of this podcast and also on the YouTube video as well. Um, But let's talk about the praise in place then this week, because uh, although it was a defeat, there is people that we do want to praise. And that can be fans, that can be a player, that can be a manager. And hey, it could be a random dog walking on the pitch. We just don't even know. Um, but let's give our praise and place mentions this week. Uh, Dana, who are you going to go for? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, it was a bit of a difficult afternoon for Bora because I don't think anybody necessarily stood out either in praise or criticism. So obviously we've mentioned Riley McGree there. He's probably the one positive, so I'll probably stick him in the praise and place. But also I want to praise the fans that went there because, I mean, I've, I've never been to Bristol, but I can imagine that's one hell of a journey. And then for that to be disrupted by Storm Eunice and a lot of people's plans were, were scrapped because of that and or changed at least. And for them to go on there and by all accounts have that, that brilliant vocal support that we've, We've, that we've known and loved for many years, I think they definitely need to be in the praise of place for this week. Okay, so the fans and Riley McGree. Tom, who are you going to go for? I have pretty much exactly the same picks as, as Dana. Um, Riley McGree, I thought yesterday was, you know, he, he looked bright when he came on. He, he was trying to create uh, stuff. And yesterday was a bit difficult for, for me to kind of pick a, a, a player of praise from. Um, just because, like Dennis said, no one really stood out. I, again, I didn't think it was necessarily a really bad performance, but up to our current standards, what what we were playing at, no one really kind of met that. Um, so I, I've got to go with Riley McGree there, um, just for, like I said, being positive and bright when he came off the bench. But also the fans... Um, I was talking to a lad at work on, on Friday who was travelling down to Bristol and I think my exact words were, I really don't envy that trip, you know, with, with the, <laughs> uh, the the storm going on outside. So, like, fair play to anyone who travelled down there and, uh, you know, back the team for, for 90 minutes. Yeah, um, Bristol, Ashton Gate is probably... Well, I, I went to Ashton Gate when it hadn't been renovated. So, it was um, Mar- Marilyn Martin, uh, last-minute oh, yeah. free kick, top bins. Brilliant Um goal. So there you go. That was the one time where I thought, you know what, I, I really like away games. And to be fair, that was when I was doing the majority of my <laughs> like the games. So the Tony Mowbray and Gordon Strachan era were like the years I was gonna do. I was doing lots of away games. So I feel like I deserve a knighthood for that because it was terrible. <laughs> um, 
But I'm going to go with Tav for a present place for one, getting the assist. Two, I thought he was bright in, in spells. And also, I think he still shows that how important he is to this Borough side. Um, and then also Ryan McGree too. I think he was excellent when he came on. Um, really showed some good some good passes, good intent in his play. Very, very crisp. Um, and I thought he's going to be a really... I thought, when I, I see him, I thought he's, he's going to be a really, really good addition for us. Not just for now, but in the future as well. I think he's a really, really good talent. Um, but let's move on to questions then because in question uh, for questions to the podcast you can ask them on twitter on facebook on email the board breakdown at hotmail.com or on telegram while messaging uh our messaging app where we have cleared over 100 borough fans to join um and just chat about the borough and it's been absolutely popping every single day it must be about 100 messages a day that go in easy um it's just always popping so if you just want to join that there's also going to be our link um as well and also check our social media uh, platform for the link to join too uh, but the first question is from jake and then i'm going to come to you first he says expect to see tav on the left more regularly in future games do you see expect to see him on the left Mm, I don't think so. I I mean, he, he came on yesterday and he offered a different attacking option for us. I think it gave us a little bit more balance between him being on the left and then Jones being on the right. But there was something quite unnerving about it defensively. And I don't know whether that was just tactical, whether Wilder told Tav to push up, but there was a lot of space in behind. And there was maybe about two attacks that Sam Bell had that I was thinking, okay, we could be caught out here. But thankfully we didn't. But to be fair, in terms of, the the attributes that Tav brings. He could definitely play left wing back, but I prefer him in the middle, which is weird because come the start of the season or at the start of the season, I was thinking the other way around that I prefer Tav out wide. So yeah, I would probably stick stick Tav in in the middle, keep him there. Riley McGree, or, or maybe put him on the right, um, McGree on the left and then Taylor left wing back. I mean, Taylor's not attacking, of course. Matt Baller, as Chris Wilder said, he's back on the grass. He should maybe be about three three or four weeks away so hopefully we could see him soon but yeah taylor can taylor's fine he could do a job at the moment okay um the next question is from peter and thomas says what did bristol do so effectively to shut jones jones down and how might we kind of counter this next time so it's going to be a thing that middlesbrough are going to have to come up with time and time again now if they're identifying jones as the main threat yeah, definitely. It, it, it reminded me of uh, that, that playoff season under Pulis where everyone just identified Adama as our one and only threat and then just shot 11 men marking him. So um, I, I think what what happened in the uh, the Bristol game, obviously it benefited them scoring so early and then they were able to pack the box. So that low cross where what Jones puts in, you know, there was barely any room for anyone to get on the end of that, you know, Combine that with people doubling and tripling up on him on, on the right-hand side and just making it difficult for him to get back crossing anyway. Um, you know, I, I think the cards really fell in their favour when when you look at kind of how they got that early goal uh, early on and then um, and, and then we're able to do that to Jones as well. Um, so obviously the, uh, the one thing we've got to do is uh, not concede so early, which... <laughs> you know, as uh, as Stanis said earlier, it was the the first time we've conceded in the first fifteen minutes uh, th- this season, so it, it doesn't look like it's a it's an ongoing problem. Um, it, but you know, we, we've got to uh, got to kind of be wary of that, and and probably also develop a bit more of a threat on the left hand side as well. Mm. I think adding to that as well, I think it's moving the ball quicker. Um, try and get it from left to right a little bit smoother. Also, trying to not please be as predictive in our passing. I think sometimes we do look up and we have a, a similar pattern where we'll look to spread it to Dyke Steel, Dyke Steel to Crooks, Crooks to Jones. Try and mix it up, try and get that ball to the left hand side, try and stretch teams and fought and get Jones on that right hand side. Keep on the get chalk on your boots, as a football cliche would be, uh, <laughs> for Jones and just keep them wide, stretch the teams, and hopefully we can try and get that think- result. But the there is Do you think fun. we could benefit from kind of like a, a lead bit of Clayton kind of under Karanka where and spray a diagonal pass out to him, get it there a bit quicker? I think Absolutely. we could do. Yeah, I think that's why you would want to see like a left-footed centre-half and a right-footed centre-half because we've like we've said on the podcast, with like a three at the back and the angles that you can, can, can create. A, a, a long diagonal ball from a, a talented centre, centre-half is can really change the game at times and appreciate under one. You'd probably want to see that, but it's like... 
for him, it was just like long body centre forward who wasn't there. But for this, it's like try and get in that half space, try and get your full backs to really bomb forward as much as you can. And that could potentially be an option where an option storm where you could uh, exploit other teams as well. So, um, but yeah, I think Danny, we're add something there. No, I was, was going to say the exact same and, and kind of echo Tom's thoughts. It would be good to have somebody like that, but also I'm kind of thinking is that the style of play that Chris Wilder wants? Yeah, I think it seems as though he just he wants to, and has done this with his Sheffield United side in the past, he wants to be patient and build up the play through the thirds and almost, I don't want to say walk the ball into the net, but given the amount of passes in and around these moves, I feel like that's the kind of tactic that he wants to do of course there's many ways to score a goal and he's not gonna be annoyed if we score I don't know from about 30 yards out but that's unlikely isn't it so yeah I think what he wants to do is to to accumulate these high quality chances so yeah but mm. we could do with a with somebody maybe in that number six house and position that can spray the ball or as, as you said Johnny a, a center half that could do that as well it's it's definitely something that we we might benefit from Okay, so moving on to the next question is from Leanne, and she says, I'm not going to start slating Lumley, uh, but why aren't we giving Saul Brain a chance after ending his loan deal early? Um, Tom, I'm going to come to you. You're, you're the advocate of the Joe Lumley fan club. so um, <laughs> No, not, not so much anymore after the last few games. But uh, <laughs> to, to be fair, I, I mean, we, we said this last week, uh, it, it's a big gamble putting Saul Brain in goal for, for the rest of the season. Um, you know, I think long term he probably will get his chance. But when when you look at it at the moment, he's never played at championship level. Um, I'm not actually too clued up on how he was doing at Queen of the South, but I, I feel like I remember the fan reaction from them mm. when he was recalled was like, you know, good luck to him. He's done all right here. So, um, like I say, it, it's just a big gamble putting him him in. I mean, especially you know, uh, a month, month and a half after he was recalled and he's not had, had any game time. He's, he's putting him in cold there as well. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a big gamble up until the end of the season, I think. Okay, then. Um, so the next question is from Richard and then it says, um, how many points do you think will... It, how many points do you think it will take to secure playoffs this season and how many teams do you think will be in the mixer? I think... I mean, I was looking at the history of, of who gets sixth uh, in the division. Last season, it was 77. Before that, 70, then 74, 75. 80 points got sixth place in 16-17 when Borough weren't in the division. I, mean, I don't know what was going on there. It must have been must have been a crazy playoff battle. I mean, I don't know because I was too busy enjoying or trying to anyway, the Premier League football. Um, and then before that, when we went up automatically, it was 74. When we got into the playoffs, it was 78 to get sixth. And 72 before that and we posted something earlier on in the week uh, it was basically a projection of the playoff picture they've currently got it's from uh, 538 in their metrics they've currently got uh, QPR projected to finish sixth on 72 so I'm thinking it's probably between 72 and 74 this season I know there's a lot of teams in the race you could probably look down to maybe Coventry Coventry are definitely not out of the race I think they are on, um, I don't know what they're on, I'm going to have to look at the, the league table, but they're definitely in and amongst that um, that chasing pack. So you've got Luton, you've got Forest, obviously, you've got Coventry, there's a few teams, Sheffield United are currently in sixth as well, so there's there's a few teams that, that could definitely get in there. And to be honest, if I was to make a bold prediction from now until the end of the season, it's that Huddersfield will get promoted this season. Because watching them Ooh. yesterday get up, on Saturday against Fulham, good defensively, they take their chances. And I mean, that that run, I mentioned it last podcast, that run that they've been on since we beat them at their place, they're kind of one of those teams that I'm a bit confused why they're still there, but they're obviously there for a reason. And I wouldn't be surprised if they really take that momentum and go all the way. Mm. Carlos Carbon's done a fantastic job there, to be fair, like just to develop them as a style from what was... Was a previously obviously under under Wagner, and then obviously they moved um, a couple of managers in there, and then he's he's came in. You can see his influences um, as, as a manager, but also the way that they're playing, and they haven't really brought in players who you would expect them to 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 really challenge in the championship. So I, I would say it's good recruitment on their part, and then also good management too. Um, but hey, Coventry. you never know. 
Commentary on forty. Sorry, commentary. I needed to. I needed to find this. It logged me out of SofaScore, so I had to use another app. Um, forty-seven points. Commentary are on. So Forest, Coventry are on forty-seven points. Luton on forty-eight. Borough on forty-nine in seventh. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. This this battle for maybe fifth and sixth this season. It's going to be interesting. QPR are faltering as well. They lost again. So, yeah, yeah. bring it it's on. Best- it's best to have your bad form probably now than than towards the end of the season. So, um, but next question, Tom. It's from Josh Vickers, um, and it's it's and, and from Chris as well. So it's a two parter. Um, and he says, "What is our best strike force?" <coughs> I have a feeling it's Watmore and Spora. Um, and Chris says, "Who do you think should start up top on Tuesday?" I think statistically it is one more on Sparar, isn't it? But I mean, they they've had longer to play to get, uh, together to actually link up and, and get the goals. Um, I mean, I think it's it's still. I mean, it, it, with Balogun and Connolly, it, it feels like they've been here longer than they have, but it's only really been like a month and a half. And you know, Balogun's only really started coming into the the fold in the last few games properly, and uh, and and Connolly's only started looking like the player that we signed uh, for the last couple of games. So you know, that could change a lot up until the end of the season. Um, I'd quite like to see as as a strike force uh, Spurrier and Balogun. I think you know that adds balance on both sides, and I, I think when they have played together, they've, they've linked up fairly well. Um, but that's not to say that Connolly and Watmore aren't also great options. Um, and like I said, there's so long left in the season that you know any kind of combination of them could be the best at the moment. Uh, well, in in the future, sorry, but uh, I think at the moment statistically it is Watmore and Spurrier. So. Uh, you know, no complaints as if to, you know, as if they get the nod up front on Tuesday. Okay, then. Um, next question is from Michael. It's, it's for both of you, um, but I'll come to you first, Dan. And he says, if we were to go all the way this season, structurally, is, is the club prepared to make that next step and for us to be successful? Or is it a more sustainable for our long term future to have another season in the championship, build the squad, and perhaps win the whole thing next season? Taking that the group of players, or taking that group of players into the Premier League the season after. So, Dana, are we ready for the Premier League next season, or this season, or next season, or whenever? (laughs) Yeah, it's an interesting debate, because I thought this back in the playoff season when we ultimately didn't go up, and I thought, oh, we're not ready anyway. But then you've got to think, the influx of cash you are then ready because you've got to obviously spend that wisely, of course, but that could just completely change the side to be ready for the, for the division and for the, the jump up to the Premier League. So whether we're, whether we're ready or not, I think we've, I mean, we've got a manager that has managed in the Premier League before and managed incredibly well in it. So I would say that we are or can be, but there was another part to Michael's question um, as well about is, is it an aim this season or is it, going to happen that that we're getting up uh, sorry that we're, that we're going up and there was a press conference that Wilder did maybe pre-Derby or pre-QPR where I took from it that of course our aim whilst we're in the conversation for the top six is to finish in the playoffs but I feel like the target of promotion is more on the backs of the players next season or the season after as opposed to this one of course when you've got a manager like Chris Wilder you're mindset and your aspirations change because he's such a good manager he's as I've said the best or definitely one of the best in the division but you've got to think he took over when we were 14th and we're probably maybe two or three positions away from being a side that I think will get promoted left wing back goalkeeper and probably striker um, are those positions that I mentioned so i believe we can you know the aspiration whilst we're in the top six conversation I mean it's definitely not going to be yeah we'll settle for mid-table why would you when we're trying to get into the top six and we're in and around it but I think that the target promotion is next season or the season after okay Tom what do you think I think the structure is definitely there to to make us prepare for next season um i think like dana said there's an influx of cash which comes with getting promoted and you know i think with what we've put in place this season you know with kieran scott leading the way on as head of football obviously looking for a head of recruitment as well and then having chris wilder as manager i don't think for a second that you know promotion would be unexpected i don't think you know if we were to get through the playoffs i don't think kieran scott would be like oh 
well, I don't know what to do now because we weren't expecting this till next <laughs> season. Like, um, you know, he, he, he said in, in interviews that free, about the free agent list being the best he's seen and stuff. I'm pretty sure we'll have a plan for going promote, uh, a plan for getting promoted and a plan for if we, we stay in the championship. Um, as much as I'm personally an impatient person and would love to see us win the playoffs this season, uh, you know, break the the Wembley curse and stuff like that. I think if we were to go up next season, uh, like alluded, like you alluded to in the second part of the question, uh, and we've you know we've we've built uh, a, a squad which gets us there, and we don't really need to have to add too much to it in the Premier League. I think long term that might be a bit more beneficial. Um, but I mean, in, in terms of the the structure, I think we're ready either this season or next season. Yeah, I I, I agree with both of your both of your opinions there. I think with with Bora the, and I've wrote about this previously about like this new Middlesbrough and how we're going to be for the future. I think sustainability is at its core. You know, bringing in players, looking to sell and value, try and build a team through with youth, and also try to build a sustainable structure. So if someone was to leave we can fill that place relatively quite quickly and it wouldn't make too much of a difference to us um, as a club. And if we were to go up this year, I think it's mainly probably due down, due to probably a poor league rather than us being extraordinarily, extraordinarily good. Um, but I think next year, when you look at the teams that are coming down, you think we probably have a better chance next year than what we do this year. But it doesn't... It, it's an interesting one. <sighs> I think I think we'd be ready to go in the Premier League next year. The influx of cash, uh, influx of cash that you were mentioning there, Dan. I think that really helps. Um, and also, you've got you're going to have your plans like you mentioned there, Tom. If we were to go up this year on next year, I feel like it would be perfectly fine. I think for for any fan you just want to have that goal of promotion eventually. But for Middlesbrough as a club and as a as a business, I think sustainability is at its core. Um, I think that we should probably focus on that rather than just the promotion straight away. Um, but let's look ahead to Tuesday then now because Borough welcomes Steve Bruce's West Bromwich Albion to the Riverside. The former Newcastle boss um, has yet to win as Baggies manager. But to find out a little bit more, uh, we spoke to Louis from the Baggies podcast to find out about his tenure so far. Hello to all the listeners of the Borough Breakdown podcast. It's Louis Bent here from the Baggies podcast, which is a show uh, talking about all things West Robbage Albion. I'm here to give you a little bit of an opposition view ahead of Tuesday's clash between Borough and Albion at the Riverside. Of course, it's going to be a massive game for Albion, to be honest. Um, I'm sure you know a lot of the championship will be aware of the, the really poor run of form that we've been on. Uh, one win in only in 11 games, which is you know a ridiculous stat, to be honest, and, and not scoring a single goal in the last five either. But you know things have really not been great at the Albion for, for, for some time, really. Of course, we met back in uh, November, which was uh, a one-all draw at the Hawthorns, where we... Uh, well, I think, you know, we were, we were quite fortunate maybe to get away with a point there and um, obviously under Valerian Ishmael and, of course, Steve Bruce now. But Ishmael was, was a manager who who started the season really strongly with some not conventionally entertaining football, but at least with um with sort of end-to-end game and, and sort of fast-paced um, football. But it, it really died down as, this, as the season dwindled on, really. It sort of um got us slower and slower and more turges as, as the season passed. But... You know, he, it was the right call to sack him. I think. I think you know a lot, a lot of Albion fans, myself included, would have probably liked to have seen him gone a few games earlier, um, maybe not as early as, as certainly those those fixtures back in November and December. But you know, certainly during that January transfer window, if you're going to get another manager in, it's always best to give them a little bit of their own transfer window to to try and make some amends. Like like even like we did with Big Sam and Sam Allardyce when he came into the club. You know, he had some of the January transfer window and was able to make more of a fist of a stain in the Premier League last year, but. See, that's not to be. And we've got Steve Bruce at the helm now, which is uh, it's, it's not going well in terms of results. I've seen some improvement on the pitch and I've seen a nicer style of football try to be t- turned out, really. Um, you know, I've seen seen some 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 better pl- passing plays than the sort of over-the-top-of-the-defence football that we saw from, from Ishmael. But uh, ultimately, the results haven't, haven't been coming, of course. Um, started off with a 2-0 loss against Sheffield United and then obviously a nil-dub draw against Blackwood, which I thought was quite creditable uh, to pick up a draw in that game and and play quite well in that. Uh, however, you know, I'm recording this just after uh, a 2-0 loss at Luton Town. <laughs> that was appalling. I think, um, you know, a lot of the players really need to look at themselves for the way that they've been performing. You know, we all saw the the sort of rough man management skills of, of, of Valerian Ishmael, but now we're starting to see the sort of softer hand of Bruce and, uh, and um, 
and man managing the the players, and you know we thought that maybe better better performances out of them, but it's clearly not working. And you know, at the end of the day, there's plenty of those players that that can't can't really uh, take a look at themselves and say that they've they've given a hundred percent on the pitch out there uh, at Kenilworth Road today. So. Yeah, ultimately it's it's been pretty poor. But you know, in terms of changes that we could you know potentially ring in for the for the Borough game, I'd like to see a few more of the young lads being given a try. Um, Taylor Gardner Hickman, who uh, I don't think played in the game against yourselves uh, last time, but certainly played in games around that 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 fixture, and, and was very good and, and and was man of the match. And I think his, his first four appearances for us, so I can't see why he's not being given more of an opportunity. Uh, I'd love to see Dara O'Shea come back into the side. Of course, he I, I actually think he's our best defender, but uh, I'm I'm convinced that I don't I don't know why it, why he's not been given the chance uh, since coming back from injury. He he obviously got four minutes against uh, Sheffield United, but nothing more really to, to write home about with him but in terms of appearances. And then I'd really like to see um, maybe some changes in the in the forward line. I'd love to see uh, Dean Garner get more of a go. I think that Andy Carroll's been doing a really good job up there on his own, uh, really grafting it and showing the bottle and desire really needed to succeed at this level. So, yeah, there's a few changes I'd probably make. I, I, I do think the midfield is really lacking in quality and I think that uh, you know, there's midfield three of Mowat, Reach and Molumbi has been, has been fairly... Uh, fairly uncreative, fairly um, fairly sideways and backwards, really, which is I think a shame because you know this is probably one of the poorer West Brom sides I've seen in my lifetime, and it's certainly a shame to to see um see us down in this position that we're in at the moment uh, in in it you know down in mid table. So yeah, I think for the rest of the season, I think our goal has just got to be solidified and maybe a top half finish. I think I can't believe I'm, I'm starting to utter those words to be honest, but it just has to be because you know our performances have been really really dreadful of late and. You know, I'm I'm really frustrated at the situation we find ourselves in, and you know how we've got so many players that just aren't aren't putting in the required um, effort to 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 get us up the league. So, I last game I literally, you know, the the, the game uh, I was doing a uh, a preview for the Blackburn Rovers game, and I said, you know, minimum is playoffs now, but maybe the minimum is even less than that, and the bar keeps dropping for these players, and you know they they seem to disappoint every week and. You know, I, I hope that Steve Bruce can turn it around. I've got confidence in him, but you know, at the moment, it's really not looking good. But obviously, you guys have been doing really well into Chris Wilder, so I'm not, I'm not particularly hopeful for this one. But yeah, looking forward to it nonetheless. Um, I, I watched you get watched the game against Manchester United in the in the FA Cup with yourselves, and 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 you, you know, he executed the perfect game plan really, and 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 played really well against them. So yeah, really looking forward to to this one at the Riverside, and and hoping I can see a better performance from Albion. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So yeah, best of luck with that, with the game and best of luck for the rest of the season. Cheers for having me on. So thanks for that, Louis. Um... West Brom Italian guys, the a team that were heavy favourites to get promoted this season. It's been pretty much the opposite. Um, but what what are your thoughts on on West Bromwich Albion, Dana? I'm glad they're not in the top six. That's what I'll say because they're always on Sky and they're on Sky again when we play them on Tuesday. Um, so I've been able to to obviously have a, a considerable look at them and they just play such boring football and. I don't even think that's necessarily bad of me to say because their fans completely agree. And 
they're just I suppose they're having a bit of a hangover really and uh, for mm. the Premier League and this has probably been coming for West Brom for a while I hope that they can kind of get back on track and maybe reset and go again but obviously not this season because it would be nice to not have them in the top six and not have to compete with compete with them but yeah I'm, I'm really glad that this game is at home actually because our away form this season we're, we're 12 for uh, points picked up away from home but third for, for points picked up at home only Blackburn and Fulham have a better home record than us so I'm really glad that we can hopefully bounce back from the defeat um, the other day against Bristol City in front of the Riverside crowd because it does seem like the, the good old cliche of home is where the heart is for Borough at the moment So what are you going to go predictions wise then Tom? Uh, I was just going to add actually interesting stat on uh, them being on, on Sky. Uh, I was actually shown something this week which said the last five games that have been on Sky have all ended nil-nil. Um, yeah, I so saw pre- that. pretty much uh, <laughs> sums up how, how they are as a team. So it's uh, probably a one-nil win to them with Adam Reach scoring it nil done. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I, I think, think for me, you know, on, on to, on to Waller, I've never really been unconfident about playing anyone uh, at the moment with the, the form we've been on. Uh, and I do think it benefits us being at home in this in- instance. So I'm going to go with 2-0 Borough. 2-0 Borough. Dana, what are you going to go for? You know what? I'm going to go for the same. I'm going to go for the same. I think backed by the, the Riverside crowd. Again, good home form. We are currently on a really good record um, at home. I think we have matched the home record, the winning home record of the uh, 2015-16 season, which which is good. But the next, funnily enough, Tom, the next game after that was nil-nil. It was against Ipswich. Oh, so <laughs> it could happen. Well, it could happen that it's nil-nil against West Brom and there goes our winning run at the Riverside. Yeah, Borough hoping to try and make a seven wins at the Riverside in a row. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with you guys. I think I think we'll win two 0 Um, I'm not gonna say why. I'm just gonna say two 0 because I don't want to jinx us for any for any particular reason. Um, but that's finally, my job. Look, uh, yeah, that is, yeah, that is your job to be honest. Um, but let's find let let's look ahead to Saturday then. Um, because Borough travelled to Orkwell against the struggling Barnsley. Poya Asbagi side have only won three in thirty one games this season. And to find out more, we spoke from Joe from the Red All Over podcast to find out a little bit more on the Tykes. Hey, thanks to Dana and the guys at Borough Breakdown for um, inviting me on the show. My name's Joe Beardsall uh, from Red All Over, the Barnsley Football YouTube channel. Um, season expectations slash how it's going. Um, it's going absolutely terribly. We're bottom of the league. Uh, we are absolutely crap, to be t- totally honest with you. I know it sounds pretty harsh, but it's true. Um, finished fifth last season, had a, an absolutely amazing season, a season Barnsley fans will never forget. Um, and this season is going to be a season we'll never forget because of how bad we've been. Uh, we all expected we'd probably finish mid-table this season after after last year. We were quite happy that we kept most of us as players. We lost as managers to West Brom and Alex Morita as captain to West Brom as well. And the CEO went to Nottingham Forest, Dane Murphy. But we felt that we kept quite a lot of the core of the squad. But we just recruited a terrible manager um, in Marcus Shop, and it's just gone downhill from there and continued to decline. No confidence in the team. Um, um, new manager got no championship experience because Barnsley seemed to be persistent with that and think that that's a good idea. So instead of getting someone with experience like your Neil Warnocks, um, and I know that uh, you guys didn't particularly sort of love Neil uh, towards the end, but um, we would have definitely taken him. Uh, yeah, it's just we got Poyras Bargi, who's won one game out of I think it's 13 14 now. Um, and just had a continued the decline basically so yeah we are not very good we beat QPR the other week um, which was a glimmer of hope but then we went and lost to Coventry and another lacklustre performance so not expecting much in terms of our uh, strongest players um, the only one I can really give praise to is Carlton Morris up front he's, he's got a brilliant attitude he works really hard he's got a decent bit of quality a really good finish on him when he gets the chance uh, and he's he's probably got a bad back at minute because he's carrying these lot he's a uh, he's a really good player um, and definitely deserves to be playing at a better team um, than Barnsley at the minute so he's the only one I'm giving praise to for his attitude and his work rate and, and his ability the rest of them have, have not shown up this season and, and need a real firm kick up the backside to be quite honest uh, in terms of um, you know what our strengths are well <laughs> 
Castle Morris. Now we haven't got many strengths. Uh, I think Borough will probably probably walk over as I know not particularly great result today. I think at Bristol City as I'm recording this for you guys, but um, we we are yeah we're just not at the races. So I really don't expect anything other than a Borough win. Weaknesses, <laughs> take your pick. I could be here all day. Um, we are lack urgency a lot of the time. We're supposed to be a pressing team. That's supposed to be our style. We don't press very often uh, or very well, to be quite honest. I don't see a press. Uh, we are poor at the back. We've got players who are just not championship standard. And the ones that are championship standard are just not playing to the level they should be. Uh, lots of individual errors in us. Just take your pick, really. You pick how you want to play against us and you'll probably win. So, yeah, it is a dire season for Barnsley. I, to be honest, just can't wait for it to be done. I'm 29 years old and I know we've had worse seasons when we've been in administration in the past and uh, the older fans will tell you that and our lower leagues, but for me, it's the worst season I've ever seen as a Barnsley fan. So, uh, yeah, fully expect Borough to beat us, sadly. Um, but that's that's all I can say on it. Thanks for having us on. Nice of Joe to be so optimistic about Barnsley there. Um, <laughs> they did, like Joe was saying, they did so well last season. They've lost uh, some key members uh, to the staff, but it's just been disastrous, hasn't it, Tom? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think, you know, the the stuff that went wrong for them kind of in the summer with the players, the loss, uh, you know, the staff they lost and everything like that, it, it's it's just ultimately you know, led to this demise this season. But, you know, by the end of last season, I was looking at them thinking, you know what, they could really kick on and, and, and you know, aim for playoffs and stuff this season. It's just everything that could have went wrong seemed, seemed to go wrong for them uh, over the uh, pre-season. Mm. Joe is yeah, known is... as a happy clapper, by the way. <laughs> he, he, when I was on Red All Over, he said he's he's usually called a happy clapper. So, you know, listening to him there, it's pretty bad at Barnsley for him to, I mean, say we are absolutely crap. And the subtext of that whole uh, opposition preview there, yeah, things are pretty pretty dire at Barnsley. Well, I was going to say, you know, with his, with his glow on reference, do you think Borough are going to be in for a difficult game on, on Saturday at Barnsley? <laughs> Um, you know what? What, what, what? What's your predictions? Because it could be a really tough game. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the championship, right? I still expect it to be. I really do. I think I was listening to the Not the Top Twenty pod, and they were saying that if anything, Barnsley's home form is going to pull them out, or could potentially pull them out of of the bottom three because recent performances, although not recent results, have been pretty decent um, at mm. home. They probably should have beaten Bournemouth. They drew against West Brom. Um, you know, they they did win recently at home. It's I think this is maybe a bit of a trap of a game. Of course, we're going, so which probably means that we're gonna lose. But fingers crossed, typical borough doesn't come and uh, and get us this game. I, I I'm gonna be confident in the team and I'm gonna say you know what, I'm gonna say two, we'll stick with two nil again. We'll have a, another two nil. I think that's three time three predictions in a row I've gone two nil. Yeah, okay. Um Tom, what are you gonna go for? Yeah, I'm worried about this one. I've never seen us win at Oakwell. Um, mm. the, fir- the first time I went, Tom O'Kink nearly killed me with uh, a, a, sh- um, a shot that went wide in the warm-up. And uh, <laughs> and then and the, la- the last game I went to was right before COVID uh, started and it, it seemed like it was it was that bad that it nearly caused the end of the world. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's bad, yeah. I think, that was bad, yeah. Uh, the the only thing to look forward to, to is uh, uh, a nice pint in the world famous uh, sports drum. But um, yeah, I, I hope I get to see the uh, the first time. Well, see us win at Oakwell for the first time, and uh, I'm going to go three 0 in prediction. Um, I, I think we're we're probably at the point now where we should be kind of scoring more than one or two goals uh, a game. Uh, you know, we obviously did that against Derby and then took a step back against Bristol, but I'd like to see us become that team that's winning by three or four rather than one or two. So I'm going to I'm gonna say 3-0 for this one. I'm going to say 3-0 as well, Tom. 3-0 up the ticks. Um, I think... <laughs> uh, I think... I genuinely think we will win. I, I do think I think we'll win quite comfortably as well. But it's the championship, and it's like three 0 defeat incoming, um, and that would just be standard typical Borough uh, to do. But what he's looking forward to, we are going, of course. You know, um, we Blackburn was just less said the better. Um, but what what do you think? What he's looking forward to then? Dan? What what are you, what are you looking forward to? 
not having to run to the turnstiles because we're about five minutes late from the game. <laughs> but no, um, the game, um, the food before kickoff, might get a nice little burger. Or do they do curry and chips as good as the Mackham does? We shall see. Um, yeah, it should be a it should be a good away day. We just need to make sure that we private our Spotify collabed playlist so that somebody doesn't put a lot of Barnsley themed songs in there by <laughs> the end of the game. <laughs> yeah, we'll put keep that on private this time around. Uh, Tom, what are you gonna what are you looking forward to? The pint. Yeah, pro- probably the uh, the sports drum. I, re- I remember being in there last time, and uh, you started off the Janino's magic song, and you know it was just it was a just just a good time before we went and watched one of the worst games of football I've ever seen in my life. Um, mm. Hopefully, they'll put Sweet Caroline on right before kickoff again as well, because that was the other highlight of that day. So, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that, and then hopefully a good performance as well. Yeah, two good highlights from that very, very poor game. Um, but I'm looking forward to, I think, just the away day in general. I do always like going to Barnsley away. I think it's a, it's a good one to go. I think well, the first time I went, I think we won 3-1, I think, under Tony Mowbray. Um, we were in that black kit, I think. Uh, I think Marvin Emner scored. So Project Emner's um, absolutely firing us up for firing us up for promotion. Um, but guys, that's it. Thank you very much for joining me as always. And uh, thank you for the listener for listening to us. But Borough Taste Defeat Ashton Gate, but there's plenty, plenty to be optimistic about. It's only a bump in the road. This is the Borough Breakdown podcast and that was all your Borough Mash Day chatter in a pod. Up the Borough Breakdown.